0: Maybe you haven't read Acts for a while. It's really good to read Acts through in one hit, you know, if you can, because it's just really, really exciting. But often we forget what's gone before. And um, if you maybe if you're not even used to being around church, you might not kind of know what's the whole deal. And sometimes you come to a church and someone speaks on a a particular passage, like this one we just heard, and you think, but what sort of context is this from and what's gone on before and what's fitting with it? So I kind of thought it might be helpful to kind of drop this, passage that we've just heard, read beautifully by Tom, into a bit of context of the story of Acts, and even what's gone on before. I, I used to love watching 24. Any 24 fans here? Jack Bauer. Anyone? No, that's just me then. Good. Um, if, if you watch 24, you know, what I'm, well, you know what I'm talking about when I say 24, right? You know, with kind of, it's, it's set over a 24 period of time, and but each episode is about 40 minutes long and it's kind of filmed in real time and you have multiple views and cameras and all that sort of stuff. It was quite cutting edge at the time. Um, And I have to be honest, uh, used to binge watch the box sets of 24. Fantastic. And at the beginning of each episode of 24, because sometimes, you, you know, actually to be honest, when I watched them, I would watch them back to back day and night, like in a, in, a, in a few days, it was terrible. Sarah and I really got into it, and we didn't go out at all, ever, while we were watching these box sets, because you had to just watch the next one. And it would get later and later, you say, I'll just watch the next one. And then you'd realise it was like four o'clock in the morning, and Sarah's like, let's just watch one more. This is before we had children, probably. Um, but at the beginning of each episode, sometimes you would have, you know, you, you missed a few days or there's a week, and you can't actually remember what's happened before. And so at the beginning of every episode of 24, they say something like, recently on 24. Uh, That was my Jack Bauer impression. I used to get taken a lot for Jack Bauer, actually, so... That was a snigger, then. (laughs) Um, Recently on 24. So this is kind of, instead of recently on 24, this is recently in Jerusalem, to give a bit of background. So the Jews have been waiting for the Messiah. They've been waiting uh, for centuries for the Messiah to arrive. Then Jesus of Nazareth comes. Through his teaching, through his love, through his miracles, people start seeing the light and realise who he is. Finally, the long-awaited Messiah has arrived. Not only for the Jewish people, it turns out, but for the whole world. Then Jesus gets arrested and it gets ugly. Judas sells him out. Peter denies even knowing him. And all the disciples abandon Jesus and run for their lives. Jesus is crucified, Black Friday. Then three days later, Jesus rises from the dead. He is risen just like he said he would. Uh, The Romans, the high priests, the Sanhedrin have thought they had everything under control but out the grave he leaps and even folds his grave clothes. I kind of like that detail, it's good. Then 40 days of thrills, 40 days of Jesus showing up post-resurrection. First Peter, then the 12, then Thomas the doubter sees, he believes, then James, then those two pensive hikers, you know, the ones walking on the road to Emmaus, they encounter Jesus. Then 500 at one time, Then goodbye, up and out, he's gone. Jesus ascends to heaven but promises the best gift to follow the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he tells the 12 to wait in Jerusalem. That's where the gift will be delivered. And so to Pentecost, Jewish holiday, 50 days after Passover, and the time, uh, that was kind of celebration of of, of when the, the law was given and now it's a new gift is given for a whole new church epoch. Pentecost, language and flames, just like the burning bush, like Mount Carmel, fire from heaven and these guys are transformed. Peter preaches an amazing sermon, that same Peter who had denied him not very long before. Now he's preaching like a pro, he's like Jeremiah or John the Baptist, he's he's on fire and it's amazing, everyone's in awe, they can't believe it and 3,000 people believe then just a short time later it's 5,000 that believe and that's when things start getting a bit messy. You've got 5,000 believers and no kind of infrastructure to work out all of that. Um, They've been kind of riding this wave of grace, I guess, and been seeing God doing amazing things. The Holy Spirit's been on the move. There's been plenty of fire but it's almost like suddenly they realise they haven't got any fireplaces and it's all a bit kind of carnage everywhere and no one quite knows what to do. So the church recognises it needs leaders, and need some sort of order to support them. For example, the, the example is given of the widows who are, who are there, who are, who are around, and they need feeding. Widows and women were often abandoned and, and abused, and the church recognises the ministry of Jesus needs to carry on, to reach out to orphans, to widows, to feed them. Jesus had always had compassion for the, for the poor. The disciples knew that. They knew that that was the mandate, to follow in his footsteps and do the same. The 12 apostles are really stretched now. The church is growing massively. There's numbers and there's people and they're all wanting to hear the good news. But there's the practical side of things that need to happen as well. And and, and so the 12 are kind of caught in this thing of they want to preach the gospel. That has priority. But what about the hungry? Physical food or spiritual food? So they appoint seven deacons to care for the food bank. And they decided they need to be people that were filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom. It was a daily task. Every day there's more and more people coming and they had to find food and dispense it wisely. They had to do it fairly and to all sorts of people, whatever their backgrounds. They needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom to give out food. Are you sure? Yeah, that's what clearly... When people... I know in my own life, when you get um, hungry, you get cranky uh, and you get all sorts of troubles kicking off. So you need people filled with wisdom and the Holy Spirit to help steward all that. So the twelve apostles lay their hands on these seven guys and they pray for them for God's wisdom and power. They send them into this ministry. Then a short time later, one of the members of that catering team, Stephen, starts preaching. And again, he's on fire and there's miracles that begin to happen and these incredible things that seem to break out around him. And then soon after that, there's the kickback. The Jewish authorities, the Sanhedrin, they bring Simon in, they're outraged and they want to investigate a charge of blasphemy. They tell him, to stop speaking about this Jesus guy. And Stephen, one of the caterers, is bold, full of zeal, and he begins to preach up a storm too. And he covers the entire, a bit like I'm doing now, but a lot deeper, he covers the entire history. You're you know, you're getting off lights right now. He covers the entire history of Israel for these people, Egypt, Moses, burning bush, King David, prophets, and then he goes on to Jesus and ends up saying, seven, Acts 7.52, and now you've murdered and betrayed him. He's a man of subtlety and diplomacy, our Stephen. And of course, we know what happens to him. The Sanhedrin go absolutely nuts, drag him out into the streets and stone him, kill him. He's the church's first martyr. And Saul, we're told, if you remember it it from Acts, that he's there, he's holding, he's got the coats of the people who stone him around his feet. And this great persecution breaks out against the church, a terrible persecution, and the church scatters. Goes to the four corners. South to Judea, north uh, out around Samaria and beyond. And Saul, Saul of Tarsus begins to hunt down and destroy this church, throwing both men and women into prison, killing people, persecuting them, just those who are followers of Jesus. It's a disaster. It's failure. The whole scattering of the church. And you can imagine, genuinely, I was thinking about this today, you can imagine the enemy crowing with delight triumphantly as he watches the church fleeing in disarray from the glories of Pentecost not long before to this fractured, fleeing, persecuted, hunted down, over, overwhelmed body of believers who just dissipate and disappear like the mist. He must have been crowing at the devastated people of God. And those who were scattered preached the gospel wherever they went. I love that verse. And Satan thinks, What have I done? Because the gospel suddenly explodes outwards. Because wherever those persecuted, oppressed Christians go, they take Jesus with them. And instead of being held in and around Jerusalem, suddenly it explodes outwards. And you see the hand of God and the kindness of God even in the midst of terrible persecution and oppression. Jesus' followers who are so full of the Holy Spirit and full of passion, they cannot stay silent. Philip, one of the scattered, finds himself in the region of Samaria. One of the caterers, Philip. And what did he do? Well, he's not got widows to feed in this place. He doesn't quite know, but I've been called to feed the widows. I'm a caterer. Does he hide? Does he think, well, uh, my ministry is no, I I don't have a ministry anymore, so I'll just keep quiet. No. He starts preaching too. And the crowds start growing in Samaria and he starts preaching and then miracles start happening and signs and wonders start happening and the church gets gets of this and they come to join in and we're told in Acts 8.8 there was great joy in that city. It's Philip the caterer fleeing from persecution, starts preaching, just sharing his story and suddenly the church explodes where he is. That's the same Philip who this angel comes to meet one day. Phil, I want you to go south on the desert road, that one that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Philip's in Samaria, that's about 50 miles, just to put it in context. And we hit this passage. And there's just three things. It's a really simple talk today. (laughs) There's three things that I want us to think about from this this short passage. That's the background. Because all of us have a story, right? All of us have a history. Some of it good, some of it painful. People who have invested in our lives before you got to here today. Teachers, parents, church leaders, youth pastors, whoever it may be. People that you're connected with. Good history, bad history. Where you are right now, there's a history behind you. And somehow weaving through that like a golden thread, God has been doing things in your life. Whether you're here tonight as a believer or whether you're here because you're not quite sure why you're here, God knows why you're here and God's been weaving this beautiful golden thread through your life. And every now and then we have these divine moments where God breaks in, where God's spirit breaks in. It may not be an angel, but it might be something like that. Or it might be an angel. An angel. There are three truths I want us to think about from this passage. The first one is this. God is interested in us as individuals. You know, when you read the Bible, you read God of the nations. And when you live on a planet, how many people live on this planet now? How many billion are we? Six? That's probably six yesterday. Seven today. (laughs) It's growing fast, isn't it? Six, seven billion? We can't even really begin to work out how many people that is, right? And sometimes when we're in a massive crowd, I don't know if you've ever been to kind of a big conference, like a New One Conference or a Soul Survivor or Momentum or, you know, other conferences, or when you're in a big church like this, sometimes we go and we're in the crowd. And it's good to do that and it feels great. And God sees the crowd and God sees the nations and God sees cities, but God sees you in the crowd. And I think we sort of know that, but I'm not sure we always really, really believe that. And sometimes it takes that moment where God picks you out in a crowd where you feel the touch of God in a moment when God says, I know who you are, I know your name, I know your history, I've been weaving through your history, trying to bring you closer and closer to me. I know you and I love you and he's interested in you. Like that woman um, who'd been suffering with illness, with bleeding all her life and Jesus picks her out of the crowd. Jesus sees you in the crowd. Yeah, he cares about large numbers. He cares about the 500 and the 3,000 and the 5,000 that get saved. But that crowd of 5,000 who got saved were made up of individuals with names that the Lord knew and called. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, that all should come to repentance. So don't believe for a moment that God's not interested in you as an individual. I think verse 26 in our passage shows that God cares about individuals regardless of background or culture or heritage or position. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place and he rose and went there and there was an Ethiopian. It seems remarkable, doesn't it, that God takes this guy who was preaching up a storm, doing amazing things and obviously responding, you know, the whole city's responding and hundreds of coming to faith and God says, hang on a minute, that's brilliant what you're doing, but there's one bloke in a really funky chariot down the road that I need you to go and speak to. For some reason, within God's plan, this Ethiopian, it was important that Philip went there, it was a divine appointment. God knew that there'd be a man travelling that deserted road who was hungry for truth. He's a really fascinating character, this Ethiopian. And it reminds me of that story. Do you remember Chris Rogers? Chris Rogers our dear, dear friend who was um, uh, up, at, up at Moncton as a teacher there for many years and had worked in the chaplaincy. And just to, he and his whole family were really connected to us here at St. Matt. And Pat, his wife still is often around. And Chris was such an amazing man of God. And he, I think he was on holiday with his wife. And they were just in Tetbury, not far away. And they'd been... Um, Gone there for a kind of nice weekend, and, and Chris, by this point, he was in his 80s, and he had a dream. And in his dream, he saw this woman standing at the corner of a road, and she was wearing particular clothes, and it was in this particular part of Tetbury where they were on, going, going to be on holiday, I think. And, and, and he <laughs> he woke up and he kind of told Pat the dream, I had this really strange dream last night, oh, it was ridiculous. I saw this woman, she was wearing these clothes, and he described it in detail. Oh, well, silly, isn't it? And Pat just said, Well, you'd better go, hadn't you, really? Spiritual woman that she was. And I think Chris Undernard and But when do I go? And how do I go? And how do I know I get the right time? And, and Pat just sort of Chris, Chris, I just think you should go. <laughs> and they were on holiday. Uh, this was about two years ago. It must have been about two years ago. Maybe three years ago. And he went and felt really stupid. Went to this corner, stood on the corner of the road in Tetbury, if you know Tetbury, that he had in the dream. And here was this woman wearing exactly what he'd had in this dream, looking exactly the same. And he approached her and said, "Um, This may seem rather strange. (laughs) And he began to talk to her. And he shared that he had this dream. And he said, you, you, you might think I'm completely mad. He was a very lovely chap, so he doesn't come across as mad. But perhaps as soon as he started speaking, he might have done. But this woman listened and he got to share the gospel with this woman. Now, I don't know what happened with that woman. But what I see is a man who is obedient enough to having had the dream to take the risk of looking really stupid by telling his wife and her being wise enough to say, Chris, you need to go. And him then going and risking standing there and going, well, this was mad. Would it have mattered if he hadn't gone? Well, I don't know. Maybe God would have sent someone else to this woman. But God is really kind and gracious and for Chris, it made him realise, wow, when I actually listen and respond to the Gospel, amazing things can happen. So does this happen now? Yeah. Maybe this has happened in your life without you even knowing it. This woman doesn't know there's a church talking about the guy who had a dream who went there. All she knows is that there was someone standing on a corner who said, I feel God's told me to come and speak to you. Who knows where that story's gone, but I'm sure God's done that for a reason. I hope one day we'll find out. This Ethiopian man was really interesting. He was clearly searching for something. He thought the answer could be found in Jerusalem at the temple amongst the literature of the Jews, so he'd gone there clearly searching He'd purchased a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. That would have been really expensive. But he'd done that. He was obviously searching. It would have been very rare to do that. And he was hoping to find some insight. Can you imagine? He'd obviously gone all the way to Jerusalem in this chariot, we're told, to find something, to look for something, to search for something. And he he felt that Jerusalem would be the place that he'd find it. Maybe he was a learned man. Maybe he'd heard about some of the Old Testament scripture, the fact that he'd bought Isaiah implies that he's looking for something, looking for the Messiah as well, who'd heard about some of the Jewish teaching and gone there to look. I'm sure he'd gone to the temple, I'm sure he'd spoken to rabbis, I'm sure he'd searched and asked around, looking to make sense of this puzzle. And then he'd come back because he hadn't found anything. And God sends someone, God sends Philip to him. God is interested in that, was interested in that man individually and is interested in you individually and knows your questions, and your struggles. God is a personal being and knows you intimately. He knows your deepest secrets, your greatest regrets, your deepest longings and he loves you and he wants to draw those things to the surface in you so that he can engage with you about them because he has a plan for you that's unique that no one else on this planet can fulfil. He's got a calling for you He's got a purpose for your life and he wants to speak to you about it and help begin to unfold that so it's fully in his embrace and fully in his plans. He's got plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And God is concerned about our lives drifting aimlessly around in the darkness. God wants to help us find a sense of purpose and place and will put strategic people in your life if you yield to him and may well use you as a strategic person in someone else's life, if you're willing to be obedient, to go and tell. Sadly for some of us, the truth is, for some of us in the church, Jesus is our best kept secret. So number one, God is really interested in you as an individual. The second thing is that we notice that for this Ethiopian unit, this chap, position, power and possessions can never really satisfy the deepest needs of the soul you know you can have great wealth and be spiritually bankrupt you can be a person of power and influence but still be lost and undone and searching for something, verse 27 and 28 seem to tell us that he was a court official of Candace the queen of the Ethiopians he was in charge of all her treasure of which there was a lot so he was a serious guy with real power with real influence, with real authority and with incredible trust from the royal household. And here he is, he's coming to Jerusalem to worship and he's returning home, seated in his very bling, no doubt, chariot, reading the prophet Isaiah. He's a man of honour and he's driven hundreds of miles by chariot to get to Jerusalem, searching for truth. His need was so great, so great, that no amount of influence or power could satisfy that deeper longing in his heart. I just wonder what his disappointment might have been. He's gone searching, he's gone there, he's bought this scroll and he's coming back and he's going, do you know, I still haven't got a clue what any of this really means. There's an ache. Maybe some of you identify with that. Maybe some of you are here tonight and there's a bit of an ache in your heart and you think, there's got to be more than this. A, a sense around here, around church, around Christianity, around faith that God's real and there's something real in all this and... I was talking to someone the other day who, who had no faith and they said, but every time I come into worship here at St. Matt's, I feel something so much beyond myself. I feel, and the word they used was love. And I said, to them, well, that's not a surprise because that's how God defines himself. God is love. And for this man, he's searching, but I think he's probably come home disappointed. You get that in his voice when, when, when kind of Philip says to him, what are you reading? He says, book. I thought, no, won't anyone explain this to me? disappointed, confused. We don't know how long he's been there, but we do know that he's returning home no closer to eternal life than when he'd begun, in many ways. And some of our friends are like that. They're searching. Perhaps they've tried church. Often that's enough to put people off. We've got to take responsibility for that, haven't we? And often people can leave disillusioned or confused. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's how you feel, a bit confused and uncertain about stuff. But the truth is what you need is not more religion what you need is not more stuff what you need is simply jesus it's a really simple gospel outside of him there isn't any peace i genuinely believe this outside of him there isn't any real deep lasting peace there's not re- any real satisfaction or joy without jesus you're not going to find meaning or purpose you can throw yourselves into all sorts of worthy and noble things and they're good And God loves them. It's not that they're invalid or worthless. But in terms of the deep, lasting, personal sense of peace and contentment and purpose, I believe that can only be found in Jesus because he brings us into relationship with our Creator, our Father. St Augustine, some of you have heard of him, he wrote this book called Confessions a long, long, long time ago. And he said this, you may have heard me say this before, but I really like it. In his book, St Augustine says, it's a prayer, and he says, God, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. I think that's so true. God, you've made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. Who's mathematician here? Got any mathematicians in the building? Mathematicians everywhere. Look, they're all sitting together for security. And one very brave one over there. And at the back. Yeah, there we go. Um, Come on, you brilliant mathematicians. I hated maths. But I love mathematicians. <laughs> Blaise Pascal, he was a French um, philosopher, um, inventor, physicist, but he was a French mathematician as well. Uh, and he was born in 1623. And he is the first person who talked about having a God-shaped hole in us. you heard that expression? You know, it's often used in imagining. We have this God-shaped hole. Well, he was the first person who kind of coined that expression. He talks about this void that people try and fill with all sorts of stuff. It might be money or it might be party or it might be knowledge or it might be position or wealth or I think often in these days it's fame or a desire to be recognised. That's all about identity, isn't it? And you find all these kind of man-made solutions that you're trying to fill this void inside. But you end up failing, he says, because, in his words, this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object in other words by God himself we're all made in the image of God and we've got this hole in this that can only really be filled by God so whatever we chuck in there kind of just disappears like into a black hole it'll never really fill it because what we're made to is for God to fill that space in our lives to bring us into relationship with him people I think are searching for that I've shared this story many of you from St. Matthews will have heard this story but I love it because it expresses what I think is so much at the heart of many, many of us as humanity. People, I think, are searching for hope. They're searching for forgiveness. They're searching for, I think, a connection with God. What they know that God is is perhaps varied, but they're looking for something. Ultimately, people want forgiveness, I think, because they carry so much shame and they're looking for hope. Hemingway tells this beautiful story. I've used it a few times, but I love it about a Spanish father who who becomes estranged from his son and his son runs away to Madrid and their relationship breaks down and the father is just longing for restoration with his son and full of pain and full of longing he takes out this full-page advert in the El Liberal newspaper and he simply says this in big letters on this full-page advert on the national newspaper Paco, meet me at Hotel Montana noon Tuesday. All is forgiven, Papa. And so the father goes to the square, goes to Madrid, and when he gets to the square, he finds 800 young men, all called Paco, looking for their fathers. Something in us that just longs to be restored. There's something in us that is pulling back, saying, God, are you there? Do you really love me? How can I make sense of the world? Is there really a place for me? Can I really be forgiven? Is there really hope for my future? Am I really worth something? Is there any light in the darkness? And God sends Philip to this one man to say, Yes, you are loved and seen. I've got a purpose for you. I'm reaching out to you. I want you to understand who I really am. Despite what the world tells you, position, power, pleasure, These things can never meet the longing of your hearts. It can only really be met in Jesus. So not only in this story do we learn that God's interested in you as an individual, not only do we learn that actually the only thing that can really satisfy is him, but lastly, we learn obviously that it takes someone who's willing and available to care enough to get involved in this man's life. What would have happened to this Ethiopian eunuch if Philip hadn't been bold in preaching the gospel hadn't carried on his relationship with God and hadn't when God said to him I want you to go 50 miles down this dusty road because there's a bloke I want you to meet instead of going what? God I'm really busy 50 miles that's going to take me a long time and how do I know I'm actually even hearing you anyway? He just went And history, and you know, there's all sorts of theology and all sorts of really interesting things about this man high up in the royal court, who influenced the whole of the nation then of Ethiopia and a whole religious movement there. You can perhaps read about that and find out about that. One man, can one man help bring change to a nation? Yeah, I think they can. God's involved in it. For him to be saved, for his sins to be forgiven, for him to be restored to the Father's love it takes someone like you to take the initiative to go and to share Christ the spirit said to Philip go over and join this chariot so Philip mumbled oh I'm not sure I'm very good at that and how do I know he's really interested anyway and and actually I'm not very good at speaking publicly and um, I haven't really got my theology particularly well sorted and there's people much better than me no, it doesn't say that not even in the message does it say that it says did you notice so Philip sauntered <laughs> Philip ran he ran it's a little word isn't it isn't that interesting God said go and he ran how often do we run I, don't, I, I often don't run when God says go I kind of meander <laughs> ok you're going to look really stupid now God <laughs> but Philip ran because he'd learned to trust the voice of God. He'd suffered under terrible persecution. He would have seen many of his friends and peers at, at, at best locked away, many of them perhaps killed. But he ran for Jesus because when he ran, a bit like in Chariots of Fire, he felt the Father's pleasure because he was being obedient and he went. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? It's a really good question, isn't it? do you understand? And the guy said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? Now granted, we don't always get it that easy, right? I know, I I wish. It was like, do you understand? No, I wish someone would explain to me the Gospel fully so I could become a Christian. I know it doesn't often happen quite like that. (laughs) But this man was hungry and he was ready. I wish someone would explain. And actually the truth is, for many of your friends out there, they are hungry and they wish someone would explain to them the truth. Then it says this, Then Philip opened his mouth. That's the key point, I think. Are you willing to open your mouth? You might not know what you're going to say. You might not have all your answers sorted. They might ask you lots of questions and you don't know the right answer. But the key is just open your mouth. God is good. And I think when we open our mouth, God fills it and helps us by the Spirit. So Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, This scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. That's what you and me are called to. If you know God, if you know Jesus, that's what we're called to. And God knows. God knows what that person needs to hear and God wants to help us. So my challenge is, are you willing to pray for those divine appointments? Are you willing to be the Philip that God sends? It might just be to the person next door or to the person across your office or to the person on the school gate or to that person that's really quite awkward in your tutor group are you willing to go if you hear the Father say go and maybe to be willing to go you need to be praying the prayer Lord will you tell me who that's a good prayer to pray but I warn you it's a really dangerous prayer to pray so only pray it if you mean it because God will take you at your word but I encourage you this week be radical be wild see if I'm joking I'm joking pray that prayer Lord is there someone who you'd like me to go and speak to this week and then you need to listen for a bit and maybe you get that little tug in your foot, maybe you won't get yeah go on the A36 the bit where it intersects with the maybe you won't get that but maybe you'll get a sense of you just know where you need to go and speak to a person maybe someone will pop into your mind or maybe you'll get that sense of I need to just go and hang out in the cafe and let the tug of God pull your heart for someone and you know what if God didn't say that person if God hadn't organised this and he'd got there and there was an Ethiopian unit sitting there just reading the Daily Mail and he'd gone up to him and said I just think God may have told me to come and meet with you the guy might have been like really? but actually do you know what I think God will really bless you for your boldness anyway and probably open a door that was unexpected let's be bold let's try and reach out let's become Philips are willing to go when they're called because wherever you are and I'm going to close with this God has strategically placed you you're where you are now not by accident not because you've got, only got a certain type of A-level results and that was the only university place available or you just happened to get this job or that's just the street you happen to live on God somehow weaves through all of that and he's interested in your history and he's brought you to where you are right now and has a plan for you and isn't surprised by anything in your life And God has placed you where only you can be a witness in the way that he wants you to be. He wants you to reach out to people in your life. And he's been preparing them. You might be really surprised. Just like this Ethiopian eunuch. He's been preparing them, working in their hearts, stirring them by his spirit. Will you let God use you like he did Philip? He was just a caterer. Who God used to change a city and change a nation actually. So what will God do in your life? I wonder, what plans might God have for you? How will he how will he use you if you obey him? So obey him, don't be afraid, and then watch him change people's lives through his power and through your obedience. Let's pray. Jesus, you see and know every single person in this room. You know our journeys, you know our joys, you know our pain, you know our successes and you know our failure. And you are the good, good Father who doesn't want any of us to live in shame or darkness. You want to take us from those places of pain and draw us with your cords of loving kindness to a place of hope and healing. And even like with Philip, when under incredible pressure and driven out, Lord, you still go with us. And so everything that the enemy seeks to do for ill, somehow you're able to turn around for glorious good. Whether it's Joseph being thrown into a pit, or whether it's the early church scattered at persecution, your spirit goes ahead and prepares a way that leads to glory and goodness and healing and transformation so I pray Father for every single individual in this room you see them and you know them and you know their journey and you want to continue to shepherd them onwards and you go with us by your power and you set us apart and as we journey on our hearts can only truly ever be satisfied as we become obedient to you and follow you Jesus so will you help us to respond to your spirit to be obedient to the call to say yes to you to become a Philip for the sake of your glory and for the sake of those around us who don't know you because Lord if we don't go who will if we don't share the good news who will you've called your church to go to be apostolic to be the sent ones so Father fill us with your Holy Spirit open our ears to hear your voice Give us your boldness to overcome our fear that in faith we'd step out and share the great glorious news of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.